Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. Well, Christmas is such a busy and manic time, uh, busy trying to get all the presents bought, the Christmas tree up, the decorations up, the food bought and prepared. And so often we're so busy getting everything sorted, getting everything ready, getting the house sorted. We've got to get the house sorted before the family arrives. And we're so busy, we don't have any time to actually enjoy Christmas. Uh, And we often think to ourselves, well, once I've, I've got everything ready, once I've got everything sorted, once the house is sorted, then I can enjoy Christmas. And sometimes that's how we relate to God. Sometimes we think, well, well, once I've got my house sorted, once I've got everything sorted, my, my life sorted, then I can spend some time with God and listen to God and, and do what God do something for God. And this is kind of what the position David was in. David was kind of like, oh, I just gotta get my house ready and sort everything sorted, and then I can think about God. Then I can do something for God. And so in our Bible reading today from 2 Samuel chapter 7, we were introduced to three different houses. The first house was David's palace. Nice house. The second house was the temple that David wanted to build for God. And the third house, with a clever play on words, the third house was the house, the dynasty, the family line, the house of David, that God wanted to build for David. And so the year is about 1000 BC. And we read in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 1, After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. And so we discover that David is settled in his palace as king, king of Israel. Now the prophet Nathan had said that David would be king when he was still a shepherd boy, when he was only about 15 years old. Yet David had to wait 22 years until he was about 37 years old before he finally became king. But now, this shepherd boy in his tent has become a king enthroned in his palace. And we discover that he was settled in his palace. Uh, Up until this point, David had never been settled. As a boy, he was a shepherd, and so he was constantly moving around with the sheep. And then for the rest of his life, he was running away from King Saul, who wanted to kill David because he was jealous of David. And so he was moving from battlefield to battlefield. But finally, for the first time in his life, he settled in his palace. And we also discover that the Lord had given him rest, peace, from all his enemies. This is the first time David is experiencing peace. He's been fighting his whole life. As a young shepherd boy, he was attacked by bears and lions. Then there was Goliath. Then Saul was after him. Then the Philistines were after him. But now, for the first time in his life, he is experiencing peace and rest 
in his new fortified palace. David must have felt very satisfied. At last, his life is sorted. And it's within this context that David comes up with a great idea to do something for God, to build a house for God. And he says to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Now the ark of God was a wooden rectangular structure that was about three feet wide, about two feet high, and about two feet long. And uh, it had this golden lid and had two cherubim on the top, angels on the top, and it was carried on poles that were inserted in the four lower corners. It was built according to the instructions of Moses 400 years prior. And its purpose was to carry the stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments written on them. And as such, it symbolized God's covenant with His people, God's relationship with His people. But more than that, it symbolized the very presence of God dwelling amongst these people. And this ark of God, this, this wooden rectangular structure, used to live in a tent. And the tent was called the tabernacle or the dwelling or the tent of meeting because this was the place where God dwelt and where people could come to meet with God. And it's to David's credit that he realizes that there's a relative imbalance between his fine palace, his house, and this relatively simple tent that the ark of God was living in. Question. Why is it that we always wait for our house to be in order first, before we attempt great things for God? Why is it that we always wait for, for everything to be sorted? I mean, don't we do that? We, we want to make sure our house is sorted, our job is sorted, our life is sorted. Then we'll spend some time with God. Then we will listen to God and do something for God. So David decides to build a house for God. And it seems like a great idea. Even the prophet Nathan thinks so. We read in verse 3, Nathan says, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But he hadn't consulted God. And what we discover over here is that a good idea is a necessary God's idea. And we read in verse 4 and 5, But that night, that very night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build a house to dwell in? For, a house for me to dwell in? And quite clearly the answer to that question is no. No. <laughs> David is not God's chosen person to build a house for God. Now, there, in fact, in, in verse 13, we actually discover there's one of David's sons. It's Solomon who is chosen to build the house. 
And there are many reasons given in the Bible why David is not God's chosen person to build the temple. For example, in 1 Kings chapter 5, we're told that David was too busy as a warrior fighting to build the temple. In 1 Chronicles chapter 22, we are told that David had shed too much blood as a warrior. David had shed too much blood and therefore he wasn't allowed to build the temple. But our text gives us three theological reasons why David could not build the temple. But before we look at that, we first need to understand the logic behind David's desire to build a house, a temple for God. And his logic is this. Now that I have settled down, isn't it about time that God settled down with us? So the first theological question is this. Do we have a settled down God? Or do we have an on-the-move God? We read in verses 6 and 7, God says, I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites that I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So quite clearly, we do not have a settled down God. We have an on the move God. How convenient would it be to have God tucked away in his own little house? And whenever we've got a problem, whenever we've got a need, we can always go and knock on the door and ask God for his help. And the rest of the time, well, the rest of the time, we could just keep the door conveniently shut. You see, to build God a house is to limit God, to put Him in a box, and to limit Him to certain areas in our life. Is that the way we treat God? Oh, if I've got a need, or if I need help, I know where to find God. I can go to the church, and God lives in the church, and I can get some help. And the rest of the time, well, the rest of the time I can do my own thing. Is that how we treat God? Our God is an on-the-move God, and He wants to move in every area of our life. He wants to be a part of every area of our life. The second theological question is this. Where does God live? In verse 6, God says, I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. Quite clearly, God does not live in a house. It continues, I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Now that seems to imply that God lives in a tent. But the emphasis here is on the word moving. That he's been moving from place to place. As it says again in verse 7, wherever I have moved with all the Israelites. God moves with His people. God wants to live amongst His people. Do we think God lives in a building? Do we think that God is present in the church building, but in in every other area of my life, God isn't really there. God isn't really with us. If that's what we think, we need to think again. 
Because our God is a God who wants to move with His people. He wants to live with His people. He wants to be a part of every area of our life. And this is what we remember at Advent. We remember that God literally came to move amongst us, to live amongst us as a human. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The Word, God, became human and dwelt amongst us. Jesus didn't come to be hidden away and worshipped. He walked among the people. He was seen face to face. This is why we celebrate Christmas, because God came, literally came as a human to move amongst us and live amongst us. Of course, now Jesus has gone back to be with His Father. But we can still be filled with the Holy, His Holy Spirit when we believe. When we put our faith in Jesus, we can experience the presence of God in our life. And God can live with us and move with us and be part of every area of our life. That's why we are the house of God. We are the true temple of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16, For we are the temple of the living God. God lives in us and moves with us. And so at Advent is the time when we remember how God literally came to live and move amongst us as a human and then ultimately left His Holy Spirit to be with us always. The third theological question is, who builds the house? Who builds the house? The second part of verse 11 says, the Lord declares to you, that's to David, that the Lord Himself will establish a house for you. And so with a very clever play on words, what we discover over here is that David is not the house builder. God is the house builder. David is not going to build a house for God, a temple for God, but God is going to build a house for David, a dynasty, a family line. He's going to build the house of David. And in fact, God has already been building the house of David. It was God who took the shepherd boy and made him a great king enthroned on a palace. And God would continue to build the house of David as long as David doesn't limit God and put him in a box and put him in a house but allows God to be a part of every area of his life. God would continue to build his house. How often do we think we've done it? We've done it. Yet what we discover here is that it was God who had made David into a great king. It was God who had sorted his life. And God also promises that His house, the house of David, will have eternal consequences. We read in verses 12 and 13, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, in other words, when David is dead, when David has died, 
I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. I will establish His kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. What we discover over here is that God's plans go beyond David. God is promising that one of David's sons, someone from his family, someone from his, his house, a descendant, will always rule and would build the temple. Now, of course, this was initially fulfilled by David's son Solomon, who, who built the temple. But within these words, we also find the hope of the Messiah, a a, a descendant of David, Jesus, who would come and who would build the true temple of God and who would rule forever and His kingdom would endure forever. And the people of faith clung on to this hope for many, many years. And eventually it was fulfilled. It was fulfilled by Jesus of Nazareth, whose family tree is carefully given so as to show that he is the descendant of David. And he will rule forever and his kingdom will endure forever. That is why the angel Gabriel says to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and verse 32, He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And God is still building the house of David today. For as people put their faith in Jesus today, they become part of this house. They become part of the true temple that Jesus is building. And so what we discover over here is that if David does not limit God, but allow God to invade every area of his life, then God will build his house and it will have eternal consequences. And this principle is true for us as well. If we do not limit God, but allow God by his Holy Spirit to invade every area of our life, then God will establish his house His kingdom in our life and through our life and it will always bear eternal consequences. Many Christians in the past have understood this principle. Many Christians who saw the need to to look after the sick and care for the sick and God established that house and now we see hospitals all over the world. Many Christians who saw the need to educate people and God established that house and now we see schools and universities all over the world. Christians like Wilberforce who saw the injustice of the slave trade and God established that house and then we saw the end, the abolishment of the slave trade. Christians like Martin Luther King who saw the injustice that was taking place in the United States of America and God established that house and we saw the civil rights movement. Christians like Bishop Tutu who saw the injustice that was taking place in South Africa and God established that house and we saw the end of apartheid. And friends, if you do not limit God but allow God by His Holy Spirit to invade every area of your life, then God will establish His house, He will establish His kingdom in you and through you and it will always bear eternal consequences. But I hear you ask, how can I make a difference? I'm not a king. I'm not a politician. 
How can I make a difference for the kingdom of God? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because you see, you don't have to be addressing some big political or social injustice. You just have to allow God to invade by His Holy Spirit, to invade your relationships. Your relationship with your family. Your relationships with your friends. Your relationships with your work colleagues. Your relationships with the the stranger you meet in the street. And you will be amazed at the house that God will establish. And it will always bear eternal consequences. Some questions for us to reflect on this Advent. Are you waiting to get your house sorted? To get everything in your life sorted? Before you start listening to God and doing things for God. Do you want God to fit into a house, a box? Do you want God to fit in with your life? All nice, neat and ordered. Or will you allow God to invade every area of your life? Do you personally know the presence of God in your life? For God is reaching out to you and He wants to live inside you. What if this Advent we decided to make it less about us getting our house sorted and more about God building His house in us and through us. To spend a few moments reflecting on those questions and allow God to speak to you and challenge you and, and maybe make a note of which ones you need to prayerfully consider and work through this week and in the weeks to come. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you don't love us from afar, that you aren't distant. We thank you that you're not confined to your own little house. We thank you that you are not a settled down God. And so, Father, this Advent we want to say, come move in my life. Invade every area of my life. I'm handing my life over to you. Father, we confess that so often through busyness we ignore you. So often, Father, we try to sort our own house out by ourselves. And we think only once we've sorted our life out that we we can come to you. We thank you that it's the other way around. That we come to you first and then you invade and you sort it out for us. Father, we pray that you would come into our life by your Holy Spirit. That we would know your presence. That we would experience your presence in our life. That we would hear you speaking to us, challenging us, encouraging us, inspiring us. So we commit ourselves to you. Move amongst us, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.